to invite a couple up here on stage with me as we prepare to get into the Word of God this morning. Uh, I'd ask Twosky and Victoria Ralph if you guys would come on up here and join me on stage. Twosky and Victoria are a wonderful couple, been a part of our church, and um, just got to hear a little bit of their testimony last week about their marriage and thought it would be encouraging for you today as we begin to get back in God's Word about marriage just to hear a little bit about their story. And so, um, pay close attention. First of all, we want to just tell me how long you've been married, how many children you guys have. You want to answer that one, Tawaski? Back up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay, Victoria. Just stand right here, all right? Um, well, we've been married about 14 years. It would be 15 in April. And we have three children, two okay. boys, um, Tawaski Jr. and Romeo, and Heaven, my little... My little baby, she's sitting there. There you go. They're all there behaving well right now, at least we hope. Um, tell me a little bit about your family history in marriage and what you've had to overcome. Well, I'll start with mine. Um, well, my mother, I, she's been married and divorced um, about three times. Well, actually, she's been divorced twice, and she's on her third marriage now. Okay. So, you know, that might say have been, you know, throughout the years going through that, that, back and forth with, you know, different stepdads, so. Yes. Um, Victoria, how about you? Um, my mother and my biological father never married. Um, but my stepfather, who became my adoptive father, was married to my mom for 15 years, and then they divorced, and she's been uh, remarried twice since then. Um, so my mother as well has been married three times. So you guys were like high school sweethearts, ended up getting married. Junior and you high. got this. <laughs> what did you say? And you, you've ended up, you know, you know, changing this legacy. What do you think has been the key? Because I've heard you say we wanted to change the legacy of our families. What's been the key in your estimation of being able to turn this around? Well, let my wife go explain now. <laughs> Um, we were young when we met, and yeah, yeah, we were. I was 14 and three quarters years old. Started, and he was 15. Um, my one of the ministers at my church taught us in our youth group that you date to mate, um, and that you start looking when you're in your teens. That you don't just casually date. Um, and so when Twaski and I became serious in high school, um, we sat down and we actually studied. Uh, uh, Ephesians 5. And that became a cornerstone. But as far as our marriage goes, that was just preparation. Around the second year of our marriage, I'd really begun to under, began to understand 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I remember turning, and I said this at the Life Group last week, um, I remember turning to my husband one night, he was asleep and I was reading it and it was like God just took this veil off my eyes. And I said, Poppy, that's what I call him. <laughs> I said, Poppy, I've not been loving you right. And he said, what? You know? And I said, I've not been loving you right. And I read first Corinthians 13, which I'd been reading my whole life. But at that point it made sense to me. Um, and that's been pretty much it. We've tried to keep that etched in our hearts. And so sometimes if he does something and I don't like it, I'll say, well, is that what God wants you to do? You know? <laughs> and if I, if I sway, you know, a little to the left, he'll say, well, Victoria, you know, is that what God wants you to do? You know, and he makes me eat my words. So, 
um, that was the, that was a changing point for us. We both began to seriously want God to be first in our marriage, Amen. first in our family, first in our lives, period. All right. So, so Poppy, <laughs> I like that. His, his, um, is this, so once you got these scriptures, has it been easy? I mean, no, it hasn't been easy, <laughs> okay. of course. You know, uh, you know, us being humans, we, you know, tend to want to be selfish and want to, you know, have things our way. And like I said, some, it's just like the Bible said, you have to deny yourself. It's the same thing with Christ. If you don't deny yourself, then how can you be, you know, what Christ wants you to be? Amen. Same thing in your marriage. I mean, how could you want your marriage to survive if you don't deny yourself? I mean, it's thing that you know, she does that I don't like, I could care less for. But, you know, you have... <laughs> Let's get a little deeper on that issue, okay? Yeah, yeah. but, you know, I <laughs> no, mean, no, it's, the thing of it is, is you really have to sit up here and really look at those things and say, well, you know, really, it, is that what Christ really wants us to be mad about? Amen. I mean, should we just go to bed mad over things that don't even matter? That's I mean, right. we love each other too much in order to stay mad at each other or to just hold grudges against each other because that's not what a marriage is and that's not what's going to make a marriage Amen. work. All right, give these guys a hand. Go ahead and take your sermon outline out if you would. You, you might not even have to take notes. They have said everything I wanted to say in about five minutes. A great, great testimony there. Um, Let's just go ahead and reiterate what they said in their testimony there. Marriage is hard work, all right? It just is. Uh, would you turn to your spouse right now and say, I am difficult? Okay, that, that, that was nice. Okay, would you now turn to your spouse and say, your spouse, your spice, it might be that too, uh, turn to your spouse and say, you are difficult, and now would we turn to all the single people in the audience and say, you are difficult, you just don't know it yet. Say it with me. All right. You are difficult, you just don't know it yet. I mean, marriage is where it all comes out. It is really, really hard work. Now, last week, we looked at the secret of a successful marriage. And here's the quotation we, we ended up with from Timothy Keller. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Christ Jesus and the rest will follow. So you go, okay, buddy, I get it. That's easy. I'll be Mr. Jesus. She'll be Mrs. Jesus. And everything will fall in place. Is that what you're saying? That is pretty hard work. Uh, this week, I want to get into specifics about how you do that. Victoria mentioned Ephesians 5 being a foundation of their marriage. You know, really, it's the longest teaching on marriage in all the Bible. That's where we're going to camp out the next few weeks. This morning, we're going to camp out in one verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that I think explains the challenge and yet the power we're going to find in marriage. Here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, raise your hand if you like the word submit. <laughs> Twosky and Victoria, no wonder they gave their testimony. We don't like that term, unless some of us men go, well, yeah, I like that term because the Bible tells my wife she's got to submit to me. Well, listen, you just heard the verse that comes before all that, that first of all says, we are to submit to one another. Before you get to that special kind of submission, let me tell you, the Bible first of all teaches mutual submission to each other. 
So, what does the word submit mean? It's a military term. It means to submit to your officer. What does it mean? When you join the military, we all know this, you lose control of your schedule, you lose control of your vacation time, you lose control of what you eat, when you eat, what all those things. You lose control. You give up the idea that you can just make a unilateral decision without consulting somebody else. And that's why the word submit is so important when we talk about marriage. Because when you get married, you give up the ability just to unilaterally make decisions without concern of somebody else. Now, that sounds awfully difficult to us. But here's what I want you to see. If you look at this passage, Ephesians 5.21, and where it lands in this chapter, here, here, here's where it goes. On the previous side, before Ephesians 5.21, Paul has been talking about being filled with the Spirit. About being Spirit-filled. And, and what Paul has said there is when you're filled with the Spirit, it begins to change you. You begin to sing. We begin to sing to one another. We're so full of joy. We begin to give thanks in all things. And yes, being Spirit-filled leads you to the power to submit. And on the other side of this verse is... Paul's practical action plan for marriage, all right? On one side is the power of the Spirit. On the other side is what you need to do to make your marriage work. Now listen, Paul understands that your marriage will never work. You'll never be able to live out the practical instructions that he's going to give unless, first of all, you are a Spirit-filled believer, okay? So as we come into the teaching about marriage, we need to understand some things that Paul is assuming about our lives. First of all, Paul is assuming that we're filled with the Spirit, all right? I mean, look at this verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What an analogy. Drunkenness and the Spirit. It's a comparison. It's a contrast. What is the comparison? What are, how is drunkenness and being Spirit-filled alike? It means that you are under the influence of something else. We arrest someone for a DUI, they're driving under the influence. Paul says, I want you to live under the influence, not of alcohol, that will cause you to do things you wouldn't do otherwise. I want you to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who will also cause you to do things you would not do otherwise. So Paul's saying, if you're going to live these instructions on marriage, I want to be to assume that you're filled with the Spirit. Now, what does the Spirit do? Back to John chapter 17, when Jesus first talked about the Spirit, He said the Spirit will make known the teachings of Christ. Part of the Spirit's job in our life is to help us to understand and apply Christ's teaching. It allows us to remember the life, work, and teaching of Jesus. So that brings us to this next assumption that Paul has. That as Christians, we're already beginning to understand his teachings. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now that's back to what we said a moment ago, Twosky said, about self-denial. That we're already as Christians learning, not just in marriage, but before we're married, that the best way to live life is self-denial. You know, you seek your own happiness more than you seek Jesus. And listen to me, 
you will find neither. You seek Jesus more than you seek your own happiness. Here's the good news. You'll find both. And so Paul's assuming you understand that. And he's assuming that the Spirit, that kind of life is leading us to put others first. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In humility, serve others. This sounds so absurd. Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Wow, Paul says, you know, as a spirit-filled Christian, part of what you do is you start putting other people before yourself. Now, here's the deal is, when we get married, is normally when we figure that out. Paul's hoping that as a spirit-filled Christian, you're already beginning to figure those things out before you meet your selfishness in marriage. Now, this one's not going to be on the screen, but let me give you one other thing that Paul is assuming. He is assuming that you and I are experiencing the love of Christ, that we're loved by Christ. Listen to this passage from Romans chapter 5. It's a great passage. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So guys, one thing the Holy Spirit does is He pours out God's love into our hearts. We begin to experience love like we have maybe, possibly never experienced on this earth. Unconditional, absolute overflowing, poured out love into our hearts. So Paul's assuming all those kind of things. Because that's why he's saying, you know what, before you get the marriage instructions, understand the power you have in the Holy Spirit. And one of the great powers of the Holy Spirit is that you begin to feel the love of God. You say, well, what does that have to do with marriage? Look at this principle. This is principle, key principle this morning. The love bank principle. You can only afford to be generous if you actually have Money in the bank. You got that with me? If you want to be generous to people, you got to have something to be generous with. And when we get to this relationship of marriage, if you don't have some money in the bank, well, let's put it better. If you don't have some love given by the Holy Spirit in your heart, you come to marriage and can't give the way you should. Now, let's go through some pictures of this. I hope I hope this will help us learn this because I think... This will be helpful. Here, here's the way I think most of us enter marriage, okay? Go to the next slide if you would, all right? We, we come here as two people with sort of voids in our hearts that are looking for love. I need that void filled. My wife needs that void filled. And so I've been out there looking. I'm trying to find that person who is going to be my soulmate, who's going to fill that empty spot in my heart, who's going to love me unconditionally, who because of maybe my insecurities and maybe some of the pain I've experienced in my life previous to marriage, I'm going to find this person who is going to fulfill those needs. Now, that's the American view of love. Why? Because here's what all of us are really looking for. We're all looking deep down that we want to be secure and significant. Basically, what that says is, I want my life to experience love, and I want to feel like my life is accomplishing something. Everybody needs those. Those are basic human needs. But here's the deal. 
when I come to my spouse looking for them to make those meet those needs, and she comes looking to me to meet those needs. And we don't. What happens? I mean, I like how one author put it. It's like two bankrupt businessmen trying to start a new business. There's no capital. There's no money. There's no love to be generous with. And so when I look to my spouse thinking, okay, baby, you got to give this to me. And I'm going to, and she's looking to me saying, buddy, I'm waiting on you now. I mean, I, I, I married you because you're going to fill that void in my life. And then we both figure out neither one of us is going to fill it. Here's what happens. Here, Put the rest of this picture in here. Then a wall begins to be built. You begin to build a wall. Why? Because the person that you've entrusted your life to has hurt you. They've not given you what you expected. They haven't been exactly who you expected them to be. And because they've hurt you and you've hurt them and you hadn't got what you thought they could give and you still got this terrible void in your life, what do you naturally do with someone who hurts you? You build a wall. Because it, it, it's very possible in marriage, despite the commitment you've made, to be unsafe with each other. And when you're unsafe with somebody else, you don't want to get them close to you. Now, you may not build a literal wall, you know, but you begin to withdraw from that person. Or you begin to seek your security and significance in other areas. As a man, very tempting, you know. If my marriage is what, not what it should be and we built this wall, I still want to feel secure and significant. And so I go out maybe in my um, job and I look for it. And then I, I just begin to become a workaholic because I'm trying to fill that void. Or maybe it, I, I get into sports. Or maybe if you're a lady and your husband is not providing your needs, maybe you decide that, you know, I'm going to go find all these things simply in a friendship, you know, or maybe my career. And that wall is there. It, it, it just, it's dangerous. That's the picture. Now here's the picture Paul would have us to have. Look at this next picture. This, are, this is two people who have found love in Christ. Here, out of the security, out of the foundation that they feel completely loved, completely secure in Jesus Christ, they now have the foundation to give love to each other. Now, I used to give people what I think some pretty decent advice when their marriage is in trouble. I would say, you need to go work on your marriage. That's good advice, but not the best advice. And then I think I got a little bit wiser, and I would start saying to people, okay, before you can even work on your marriage, you need to go work on yourself. Because until you get better, your marriage is not going to get better. That's still pretty good advice, but not the best advice. Here's the best advice. What you need to do is go and work on your relationship with Jesus Christ. The best thing you could do for your marriage is to find the love and security in Jesus Christ you need so that you can love your spouse the way you're called to love them. You understand what I'm saying there? Because here, when you begin to discover that kind of love, I'm not sitting here looking, okay, Stephanie, what have you done for me today? How far have you gone? What kind of mood are you in? I'll give if you're in a good mood. I'll give if you've given to me. And she's sitting there thinking, I'm going to give, buddy, if you give to me. And we got that stalemate. We got that wall. But now on this foundation of love and security in Christ, I've got that whole field by Jesus. And now I am free to love my spouse even when I don't feel like he or she is loving me the way they should. 
You see how radical that is? You see how life-changing that is? You know, I get to meet with a few life groups every week, and it was the most fascinating thing to be, at a, be in one life group that's primarily made of marriage, married people and another life group that's primarily made of college students. And to hear those college guys wrestle with, with this issue. And, and finally, one of them speaks up and says, I figured it out. The best thing I could do to prepare myself to get married is to build a great relationship with Jesus. Bingo. He got it. That's the best thing you can do. Because out of that security, you can do what you could never do before. Out of the security of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, now you can love even when you don't feel like you're being loved back. That brings to the last picture. And this is really, really some good news here. How? What do you do when your spouse is not who they ought to be? Here's what you can do in Christ. Here's one spouse who's found their love and security in Christ. Maybe to this point, their husband or wife is not there. They're still empty. They're still needy. They're still demanding. They're still living very selfishly. Here's the really good news. Really, really, really good news. You don't have to wait on your spouse to do what you ought to do. Guys, that's what's killing our marriages. We're all waiting on somebody else, our spouse, to step up. We're measuring who's doing what instead of just saying, you know what? God has poured out His love in my life through the Holy Spirit. You know, I feel loved and secured. I'm not real happy with her right now. In fact, I probably don't really like her. But out of this security and love, I'm going to love her the way Christ loved me. There are many days where I am unlovable. Many days where my actions are not what God wants to see, but He never stops loving me. Reminds me of this um, woman. She goes to this marriage, um, divorce, mar- divorce uh, uh, attorney about her marriage, and she wants a divorce. She's sick and tired of her husband. He's selfish. She's unattentive. He's not romantic anymore. Everything's bad, and she's had enough, and so she decides she'll be the first one to pull the punch, and so she goes and meets with the divorce attorney and says, you know what, quite frankly, not only I want to divorce him, but I want to destroy him. I, I want to get him bad. I want to get his money. I want to get the children. I want, I'm, I, I, I want to win this thing because this has been going on for years. The divorce attorney said, you sure about that? She said, yes. He said, well, okay, let, let me help you out with that. This is going to take time. We're going to have to set some things up. We're going to have to make sure money's in the right bank accounts. We're going to have to wait a little while. But if you really, really, really want to mess him up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. And while I get all this stuff lined up over the next month, I want you to serve your husband. I want you to give yourself completely to Him. I don't want Him to have an ounce of knowledge that things are about to go downhill, that you're about to serve papers. I want you to go be loving, serving. Don't reply back. You just give to Him even when He won't give back. She thinks, yes, yes. Now we're talking, man. We are going to set this thing up for something great. And so for the next month, she goes home and she loves Him and she serves Him and she gives and she gives and she gives and finally she goes back to that divorce attorney for the appointment to sign the papers and get it all going and she walks in and the attorney says i got it man and i think we're gonna get him bad if you've been doing what i asked you to do yeah well here are the papers we can get it started right now and she says you know i don't want a divorce anymore 
I actually decided I love this guy. I don't know what I was thinking. Because that's the possibility you have in Christ. You know, um, earlier Joey's talking about this crazy love that we have, this, this lifestyle that we have that doesn't make sense to the world. Guys, that picture doesn't make sense to the world. That picture says if that's the way your marriage is going to be, you've got every right to get out and you'll find enough friends around you to support you and say, you need to get out because you're the only one giving and you're not getting anything right now. Guys, what we do makes no sense to the world because we have a secret. We understand that we can love someone the way Christ has loved us. Not only do we have a secret, we have the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to our verse one more time and let's look at it, all right? Ephesians 5, 21. Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Now, I've changed translations on you. Newer translations try to sort of soften that up, so they use the word out of reverence for Christ, which is a good word. It fits there. But but they soften out the idea of fear of God. Because when we think about this motivation of fear, we think it means I'm afraid of God. So you're telling me, buddy, that I need to go work on my marriage because I'm just afraid of God? Well, listen to me. I really don't think we have a good idea of what the fear of the Lord means. Because if you go through your concordance and you start reading, especially these Old Testament verses on the fear of the Lord, they don't match our view that we're scared of Him. That we're just over a corner hoping He doesn't look us in the face. Let me just share a few of these just to give this to you. Proverbs 28. Happy is the one who feareth always. Happy in fear? Psalms 130. Forgiveness comes from you, therefore you are feared. Forgiveness and fear go together? Psalms 40. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Fear and praise? Look at Isaiah 40. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. You're kidding me, buddy. Delight in the fear of the Lord? Guys, our idea of fearing God is incomplete. It's not just about respecting God. It's not just about going, oh, He's God and I need to, to understand. It, it does entail some of that. But it entails much more. Let me give you this definition from Timothy Keller's book on marriage about the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God in His love. What's you saying? Real fear in the Bible. That's why he could use all these connections between praise and forgiveness and happiness and fear that make no sense to our cowering view of fear. Why? Because what it is to fear the Lord is to be so overwhelmed by who he is, by his character, by his righteousness, by his holiness, and yes, by his love. I'm so overwhelmed, I live in wonder, in awe, in reverence, in fear of the Lord. So really, when he says, submit to one another out of the respect of the Lord, or from the fear of the Lord, what he's saying is, be overwhelmed by his goodness, his grace, his love, his righteousness, so overwhelmed, so full of that, so full of the Spirit that you can now love your spouse the way you ought to. You say, okay, buddy, 
This all sounds rather challenging. How do I get there? How do I get to this point where I'm so overwhelmed by God and His love that I give it to somebody else? Let me just give you the best practical advice I know. You need to get in the Gospels of Jesus Christ and you need to camp out there. You need to go and learn as much as you can about the person and the personality and the actions of Jesus Christ because He is the clearest picture you will ever receive of God. And so this morning, if you could go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and be overwhelmed by the righteous standards of God, if you this morning feel outcast in your life, if you could go back and see the love that Jesus poured into a tax collector named Matthew who was an outcast, if you've been through multiple divorces and think there's no hope for you, if you could go back to John chapter 4 and watch Jesus encounter that woman at the well and love her and lead her to God, if you feel like you've been publicly humiliated by your sins, if you could wade over to John chapter 8 with that adulterous woman there in public and hear for yourself the words of Jesus, neither do I forgive you, go and sin no more. If you could be overwhelmed by that, if you're at the end of your rope in life or the end of your rope in marriage and you could meet that thief on the cross who at the last moment of his life, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. My friends, if you would put yourself into the gospels of Jesus and allow your heart to be overwhelmed by those things, you could live in the fear of God. And out of that, you could begin to love your spouse, your friend, your parents, whoever it may be even when they don't love you back. So let's close this with this word, these words. The best thing you can do for your marriage, the best thing you can do for your life, the best thing you can do for your friendships, the best thing you can do is to find, the, find love in Christ and be filled with His Spirit. Listen. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is available in your life. You think, my marriage is on the rocks, buddy. You don't, you couldn't believe how bad it is, man. It is dead. Okay. Thanks for the honesty. I'd rather you be honest than lie to me. Dead. Let me give you the good news. God specializes in raising the dead to life. So there's hope. But it starts with your encounter with Christ. I want you to just close your eyes just for a moment, all right? While we have our eyes closed, I just want you to remember maybe the moment or maybe some moments when you felt most loved in your life. Maybe it was in the arms of your mama. Maybe it was on your wedding day. Maybe a friend that went out of the way to care for you when you really didn't deserve it and forgave you. When have you felt most loved in your life? Maybe it was when your little child came and put their arms around you and without any prompting just told you how much they loved you. Again, 
Would you just picture the moment or moments in life that you have felt most love? Would you remember that just for a moment? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to believe in Christ that that moment would pale into insignificance compared to how God loves you right now. That if for a moment you could step back and remember Jesus, remember the cross and all the things we've celebrated here today, And just for a moment, allow the Holy Spirit to pour out the love of Christ in your heart. Because I can guarantee you this, no matter how wonderful someone else has been to you, no matter how much they've loved you, there's nobody on this earth who loves you close to the way Jesus, God, loves you. So open your eyes. So knowing that love, are you willing to respond? I'm going to ask my four couples, if they would, to go back to the back and stand. The four couples are going to be there to pray with people. If you'd go ahead and go back there, you'll see them sort of scattered about the back of the worship center. And today, if the easiest thing for you to do about your marriage, maybe you need to go without your spouse. Maybe your spouse is not ready to go, but you are ready to go. Maybe the easiest thing for you to do is not to come front here, but just to go back there and, and just to be prayed for. Give them your name and just say, would you pray for this? Pray for this about my marriage. Pray for me to find my mate. Whatever it may be. These are four wonderful couples with solid marriages who know Jesus who'd like to pray for you. Or maybe today, you need to experience the love of Christ. Maybe today you need to come down here and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe today it's time to stop fighting it. It's messing up so many areas of your life because you've got this void and you're trying to get it filled by your job or your spouse or by recreation or by you name it. Things, and no matter how much you get and how much you do, it's still empty. Maybe today could be the day. No, not maybe. Could today be the day when you surrender your life to Jesus and His love and you leave this place filled with the Holy Spirit. The power to live out this radical lifestyle that we've been called to live. If you need some prayers today, or if you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to go be prayed for, why don't you do this while we sing this incredible song about the power of His love. Let's all stand up.